PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits by being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful. Humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content. Damn, okay. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure, no pressure. Okay. Oh my God. I think there's some chaos train stuff up next. So, yeah, baby, all aboard. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess I kind of want to like have a look at kind of what, what kind of things I did, how it caused problems, why the fuck did I do it? The things um, you did cause problems? Now that doesn't sound believable. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't really believe in myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, like tomorrow, I might be crying in a corner, believing it. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, alternate reality. I'll never quit you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, God, I guess I've thought about this in that sometimes I was unintentionally kind of reactively hurting people. Like, a lot of this stuff wasn't really planned, really, like, conniving or anything like that. So, yeah, there's just, like, stuff that would range from, like, casual indifference to kind of aggression where I thought I was, not, like, rationally, but emotionally, I thought I was in a situation where I needed to defend myself and I needed to just, like, cut down the other person because I interpreted the situation of like one where they're coming for me i've got to get them before they get me oh um, those presumptions yeah. of hostility mm. yeah. yeah good old paranoia again <laughs> <laughs> yeah so a lot of them would come out in social situations unfortunately more with like larger groups rather than just like one-on-one -on -one, so you, you've got to be prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just generally seeing social situations as like really high pressure, really high stakes, like they could make you feel wonderful, they could make you feel like shit. And so when you're already in that kind of hyped up mind state, yeah, you're going to be really quick at being aggressive or kind of just weird for no reason. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you know, you're yeah. kind of talking about what people could say the term narcissistic supply is, quote unquote, which is, you know, when you have less inside of yourself to be stabilized and anchored, when you're less firmly rooted in other ways in your existence, and your personality, that each thing from outside takes on such an outside source of importance. You don't have anything to kind of keep you grounded when things are up and you don't have anything to lift you up or keep you above the waves when things are really down. And so it is vitally important to be able to be able to shape the experiences around you and how they're going to affect what ends up inside of you. And again, acts of overt aggression or especially quick preemptive aggression 
it's kind of like in the podcast that I had with Joella, where I described that disordered people being quick to the draw means that they're the first one who gets to shake the mm -hmm. pavement or the concrete before it sets and they get to leave their mark upon it as opposed to people who try to take a longer term perspective or slower where, you know, they just get their meal eaten in front of them. You know, they're kind of last to the pick. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously I think that people who are healthier are people who can have those longer term goals, but also still manage to keep up, so to speak, with people who try to do pull one over you in the here and now. And that is beautiful, mm -hmm. delicate balancing act and dance. But, you know, you're describing somebody who inhabited a world where you had to prioritize one of those ends to the absolute detriment of the other. Yeah, the thing you said about supply as well. Is, yeah, this might be like a regular, relaxed, normal going for a coffee with someone. It's just a nice extra that this person has in their life. Whereas for you, like this is a need that you have, like a <laughs> need, and it's got to go well. Or yeah, it's just a different. It's just a different game that people are playing. Yeah. Um, so next time you're going out for coffee with people, no pressure. <laughs> just remember that you know this might make or break them as a human being, and you know <laughs> the day or the week, you know, and yeah. Show the fuck up, you slobs. I mean, uh, our <laughs> beautiful and incredibly empathetic and gorgeous audience. Emotionally and physically, inside and out. Okay, that's enough fluffing. And uh... <laughs> this is why I chased him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose I can bust it out every so often. <laughs> but... Yeah, that's a very good explanation of supply. And again, I've said this at other points, people like nar all these narcissistic terms, but it's like everybody needs fucking supply. Everybody needs mm -hmm. ego fuel and everybody needs ways of sustenance of maintaining the personas that they choose to put out and interact with the world. It's just with healthier people, you are uh, less ravenous, I think, or you're not starving or feel like you're dying. Cluster B said the same thing, like trying to suck moisture through a straw in the desert somehow, trying to, God, you motherfucker. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to cut that out or leave it in. And no audience, I will not describe the obscene gesture that the guest just made. Just really, just going to need a timeout after this. <laughs> I hate you so much. Oh, you got to cut that one out. It's going to be That one. Oh, some of that's going to get cut out. Some of it won't. And so, yeah, like disordered people are usually ravenous in their ego needs. It's a cluster B milkshake was saying about trying to suck moisture through a straw in the desert of using these men to try and puff her up because she desperately needed that in order to survive or to feel well enough about herself. Whereas she was envious of people who didn't need to do that, who had enough inside to be able to seem like they were eaten well, so to speak, and that they could manage without having to compulsively drain the first signs of nutrients that they saw, or they kind of had more going on inside. Hello, hello there, loyal audience. Just wanted to give people a quick heads up on the next section that my other partner came by while we were recording, had a bit of a conversation, and to understand some of the parts that came next, she has been included. So let's all give a big round of applause to, insert name here, for her cameo appearance. And if you are not a fan of dicks and dildos, or that is a little bit too graphic or explicit for your taste, you can skip ahead by 3 minutes and 11 seconds precisely now. Oswald, his dick doesn't curve the same way any two times. Yeah, I told you. You know her. how 
fucking hard this is to do. <laughs> <laughs> I made him get a whole new kit so that I could cut the tube the way it needs to be cut. Yeah. But, uh... I mean, aside from the disappointment, it's a fun science experiment. Science. Uh, if this doesn't work, we'll just get her a thrust and call it a day. I sent to the. I mean, that thrust is. Wait, you said that the thrust looked too natural. Say what? Looks too natural. So she's saying your dick does not look natural. Oh, yeah, because she likes my dick. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, that's Well, it she wants to dildo of your dick. Yeah, yeah, So she thinks, that's my, the inference. she thinks my dick is neon and looks like an alien. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd go with that. But she still wants it, so I mean, like, that's a compliment? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Let's calm down. <laughs> Damn, where were we? Saying something really fucking serious, I bet, and I'll be right into, like, fucking giggling mode. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's a fun digression in non-monogamy land. <sighs> yeah, that was fun. Yeah. That was fun. This... Huh? Oh, he's recording. Fuck me. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's recording, but I mean, I am just going to cut a lot of that. Oh, so yeah, all that was uh, recorded. And so, you know, that will be fun times in non-monogamy land. No, I'm just going <laughs> to. And everybody can learn about Fuse alien dick that his girl is actually appreciative of. And, yeah. uh, you know, just sides of myself that people have never seen. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure everyone will, like, appreciate it. I thought it was meant to be raw, not just, like, <laughs> pretending everyone's dick is, like, boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is just so fascinating, though, where it's just, like, even when you're talking about, like, the want for things that are deviant, just so that it's, like, not boring, novel, and do, and just that, having that shape your desires, even erotic, just a whole fucking rabbit hole all of its own fucking fascinating i think it's like that and also finding bodies kind of weird and boring and if you can get like a silicon neon magic stick then that's preferable to being a meat sack yeah basically i want to be a life-sized human dildo that's what i want (laughs) well put that up there for squad goals or you know on your christmas list for santa want to be a giant inhuman dildo and yeah <laughs> oh my god that was recorded so you'll have <laughs> yeah. material <laughs> i was just about to say all right so whew. we've had, had a rest had some fun let's keep forging ahead here and put back on the pod voice and we left off with i swear to fucking god the things i'm gonna do to you which I shouldn't say, because it's just incentive to do more. Yeah, we left off talking about Cluster B and trying to keep your ego alive by just using people to keep yourself buoyant. And I don't think you quite reacted to that yet. Yeah, it really reminds me of something um, Spirit Narc said as well about just things not sticking, like achievements not sticking, compliments not sticking, and everything just being just wiped out. So you have to start, well, from the bottom every time. So... I think that's kind of part of that that hunger, whereas it probably sticks with normal people. I don't know. Is that how it goes? Oh, that is how it goes. And I know for myself that being a borderline, it's almost that there is a lot, always been a lot of emotional sensitivity for me and things can get real deep and intense for me real fast. And that is actually a part of the mechanism of how I can have 
an incredibly incisive memory for some things if I can attach an emotional resonance to it or emotional importance in terms of observing people or remembering events or how somebody made me feel. Or even if I start talking about like theoretical things, but if there are things that I think are important and that I can apply to the world, it just sticks in my mind. And mm -hmm. so in a way, I'm still trying to be very engaged with the world and active, but I can also be relatively fine on my own and just indifferent. I can just shut people off and not have it bother me because I have a wealth of internal resources and experiences to fall back on. It's not constantly starting over again from zero. And so, yeah, that is a large part of my ability to stay satisfied, to not be blown off course, to be steady. Now, in the other case, I end up getting to emotional reactivity or things getting chaotic when the emotions are too intense or contradictory or I can't incorporate into a coherent narrative. And then it drives me absolutely insane trying to figure it out. It's like you have to do an action to the environment and people in front of you and you feel like seven different ways about it and you could do eight different things depending on the ways you feel and you just don't know what to pick. And in my case, it would be... Well, one of the things I've kind of learned at this point is to actually blend my actions so that I can do actions such that they incorporate all those desires simultaneously and is responsive to the situations, which isn't something I would recommend because it is fucking exhausting and <laughs> requires a lot of effort. But I mean, sometimes when I can say things that can be multiply interpreted or applicable or kind of with a lot of depth and nuance and subtlety to it is just... It's not to showboat. It is a reflection of me trying to articulate something that captures the entirety of what I feel about it and trying to render my outside sensible, or I'm sorry, my inside sensible to the outside. And so uh, it is effortful to try to keep that truth of what I'm feeling and acting it. Yeah, that's such a, I feel like that's such an opposite emotional experience. To mine. <laughs> oh, oh yeah well i mean we are just on opposite sides of the fucking universe right now in terms of what we're describing of how we emotionally relate to our environment and what motivates us and what we fall back on but i mean again mm -hmm. that's also especially important of those opposites and everything in between and for people to be able to hear that this is what some people have going on inside of them and what they bring to your interactions yeah, that's wild. I feel like if we swap places, it would not go well for either of us. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we'd both just be fishes out of water. I just, neither of us would have any idea of how to navigate the other person's reality. Mm, damn. <laughs> but, you know, we do the work of connecting and moving towards each other so that we do understand each other better and that we can interact in meaningful, mutual ways. And that's why you connect people. Hey! Let's give a big shout out to our sponsor for the pod, Emotional Connection. Now available in an interaction near you. And Is it though? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it might not be. There is a point to it and you should desire it. Let's at least go for that low hanging fruit. Yeah, I suppose so. I was just busy thinking of what other sponsor we could have. <laughs> um, 
as you know, no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm thinking oh, that's really inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of like, how do we be sponsored by depression? And it's just like, you know what? I'm sure that the audience can fill in their own blanks on these ones. So you know what? Listener exercise. Y'all can get on it. Uh, in the comments to the pod, describe what you would like this podcast to be sponsored by. And we'll see if we can incorporate it on a future episode. So getting back to the narrative that we're supposed to be on, where were you going to go next, Lila? We were talking about kind of some of the things you feel are and why you do what you do yeah yeah back to the i'm going to talk a bit about recklessness now kind of damage that i've done through just wanting to do really reckless things and dragging people along with me really so oh. yeah i'd say that example earlier from when i recklessly drove with my friend who happened to be in the car who i didn't really kind of consider yeah, he just, he just happened to be in his own vehicle. It's strange how that occurs sometimes. Yeah, damn, you keep on catching me out when I'm trying to gloss things, and I do not like this. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we mention earlier about, like, not not calling people out? Oh, yeah, no. right. Uh, <laughs> uh, do as I say, not as I do, audience. Okay, yeah, just... um. Like, again, I don't think this was really conniving or thought out. It was just kind of like, I want to do a reckless thing. There are people who are, for whatever reason, willing to do it with me or get dragged along in a vehicle um, <laughs> somehow. And yeah, I think I just, this was mainly when I was kind of younger, I found ways to kind of channel wanting to be reckless and wanting to do dangerous things now. So kind of, I know that it's part of me and I know that there's a time and a place for that kind of thing, which isn't just randomly with random people. But yeah, it was, yeah, when I was younger, when I was feeling really, really bored, really empty, I think I just wanted to prove that I could get through these things, that I could survive some of these things, really. I just didn't have anything that took my interest in my life, really, which is pretty unpleasant now you think about it. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about where some of the source for some of these actions are. People who may be more normal, it's just like, how could somebody do something that's so senseless or so reckless or blah, blah, blah. And I mean, it's just, it's not senseless or reckless things because that's not where you're coming at it from. You're coming at it from not only are you dissatisfied or empty with your life, but I mean, Deep down, there is a shame or self-hatred or other hatred and latent suicidal, homicidal thoughts constantly below the surface. So, I mean, not even just empty with your life, like the emptiness is a byproduct of repressing what your real emotional environment is because it's probably something that's unpleasant that you don't want to face. And so you do things that reflect that environment or distract you from that environment. You have different things that serve as stimulating in that plateau. And you have to do things that are able to break through or outweigh the repression that you're doing. So whatever you're doing has to have more psychological, emotional stimulation than the force of what you're doing to feel numb. And so that <laughs> would result in all the sorts of crazy things of reckless driving and promiscuity and binging drugs or alcohol and just doing manipulative things just to see if you can beat somebody or all these other things that can, you know, get you killed or harmed or other people and spiral out of control. But those are the only things that even come close to feeling real for somebody in that mm -hmm. circumstance, because anything below that is just like, just read a book or just go for a walk in the park or just like at 
basically like doing nothing. Like there, it doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't feel like anything because anything of that kind of emotional threshold is way below where your register is. Like you have a lot going on underneath our, I think, you know, some people, aside from like being numb, there's also just the rage and anger that's constantly there which is a part of not having positive things to invest or attach your emotional energy to. And so, yeah, there's just a whole swath of activity. Anything that is gentle, small, light, and is building towards the future in little pieces, just none of those things are able to appear as real or connected or significant. And so there's this entire other realm of things that you do do that are just passing time or that reflect your will to be engaged with the world. For sure. Yeah, a lot of that kind of rings true. I think it's like kind of a combination of not valuing your own life, not thinking you've got anything like that great in the future. You kind of are like, why not? You don't want to do anything long term because you don't expect anything to be that great long term. Mm-hmm. And why would you value other people's lives if you're not valuing your own? If you just think everything is meaningless, then why not just risk everyone's safety in a stupid action? It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think there's a curiosity, curiously, can be interpreted in a couple ways here. Because I always tell people, like, what's empathy? Curiosity to other people's emotional curiosity and responsiveness to other people's inner lives. The curiosity that you're talking about is different from that. It's the curiosity of just being able to do the most outlandish, extreme, depraved, or adrenaline-seeking things just to see if you can. And I think everybody has certain curiosities or drives to self-actualize or push their limits or to enjoy exercising themselves. But the curiosity is kind of more of an idle one. It's... It's a curiosity that makes you think of the expression that, oh, how does it go now? Idle hands are the devil's plaything. There we go. I think that's the one that I'm thinking of. It's that curiosity of having so little to do and invest your time into that you turn yourself towards these things that are darker or reckless or negative or, you know, just not conducive to a, a long, prolonged full life. Because just how could you? You can't even think about what it would be like to empathize with your future self or plan for later down the road. Because that's the world you've seen has been miserable. You project that the world in the future is going to be like the one that you've seen. And if that is some of the internal calculus that you've got going on, then you're just like, everything's shit. Like, you don't even know why you're here. Uh, You always have those latently, latently suicidal thoughts. There's just no reason for you to try and make an effort at building or doing some things that are more delicate. Hmm, Yeah. I mean, if you don't know, it's like you don't know what you don't know. If you don't Mm -hmm. know there's a different way to do things, then you're kind of screwed. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think, I don't know, I don't think that reckless urge will ever go away, but at least now I know that it's there and I can channel it into other things and... I do think to some extent a lot of people have that that urge or they like to watch destruction from a distance or they like to watch it when it's in fiction or yeah so they want to stick their hand in but they have enough in their life that 
it's not something that they, it's not their main urge. They're just it's just a background thing that they know would be stupid. So, yeah, I was thinking about media, but also like video games or playing a sport. People being invested, really trashy reality TV shows. It's just like there are ways that people want to participate in the drama or in the chaos or in the excitement, winners and losers. But it's in these ways that are sublimated, these ways that are socially acceptable or that are further removed from their actual lives. And people, again, different people have different supply or ego needs. A healthier person can be can satisfy some of their own destructive impulses that are there, they're usually not as strong, and they can be met just through things that are more commonly available, and that's enough for them. Like that satiates that hunger. And the problem for disordered people, particularly, you know, ASPD, NPD, is that that hunger is insatiable, or there kind of isn't an end. It's like, even when you do do one thing, then you're just waiting for the next, and you have to mm. keep escalating. And so like, really, it is a road to oblivion. There's no, one of the things that I say a lot is what is the psychological or emotional conclusion of the actions or logic that you're employing? Like, where is it gonna lead to over time? And healthy people are people or functional people are people who actually have an answer to that, where they can say, this is how the way that I live my life and actions can be repeatable or sustained at length. And if you try to flesh that logic out for people who are disordered, and I think this is for people who are disordered entirely, this is part of what makes them dysfunctional, your actions are not sustainable. They usually undermine themselves or ruin your life or destroy the thing or the person who implements them. There is no logical ending place. As you said, it is restless. It just keeps aiming and moving and there's never a point where you end or stay in one spot or you can keep doing it like going in a circle it's kind of always leading to this end point where things kind of explode or end up in ruins or <laughs> things end and can't be done again like with ruptured relationships that's usually the logical conclusion of a lot of these behaviors because they are usually inherently contradictory or catch 22s or just meaningless or senseless in and of themselves Mm, but you can't you can't really explain that to people because a lot of the time when your when your disorder really has control over you you just don't you don't care you're like well I'm not going to live a long and happy life that's something I don't care about I'm not going to have these fulfilling relationships I don't care about that either so yeah again it's like an, an awareness thing logically of course you shouldn't do these things if you want a happy life but quote unquote <laughs> at certain points you just don't you just don't care you don't care about living that kind of life so yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. even there's an element there of aside from unawareness of what makes our lack of interest in a purportedly better life there's also just delusions of grandeur that you can get and where you think you know better than other people and that the way you see things is the correct way and yeah i mean when you are so disordered that you're actually delusional you think that the way that you see things is i mean in the first place it's a life fact that there are an array of ways to see things and perspectives and they're all perfectly legitimate and what you choose it is an expression of your own individuality so like really that's kind of the bedrock truth is that there's a plurality or at least you know that's a healthy balanced way to think about it but then when you're like even beyond that is just not even that there are multiple ways to be maybe there's like two 
there's my way and everything else. And if you're doing everything else, you're simply wrong. And like, you know, you don't understand. And I am the authority figure. That's grandiosity. It's a way of elevating yourself. Even paranoia and paranoid personality disorder. I think I remember Sam Vackman saying this, that paranoia is a form of grandiosity because you're assuming that you're important enough that all these malevolent forces out there in the world want to fuck with you specifically when you are just another meat sack out there in the world and everybody else is concerned about themselves. So again, it's one of those things where when you are really wrapped up in the disorder is that you're living in these ways that just cannot be sustained or are self-defeating or just kind of goes all over the place. And you can be so delusional as to think that you are the one who has the accurate story. And then you have to keep spinning these narratives of why things don't work out the way you want them to or think they're going to when they inevitably don't. Yeah, I feel like you just scathingly described my 20s and I don't <laughs> Not the intent, but you know, we're... we're... <laughs> We're here for yeah, that yeah. yeah, I mean, pretty much was like, everyone else is wrong for wanting families, everyone else is really boring, now they're going on to boring long-term relationships. Yeah, it was always everyone else is wrong for wanting these things. And going back even further, I was like such a paranoid child. Mm. I used to think people were following me home all the time, or that people were breaking in, or yeah, I had... To, a lot of paranoia as a small child and I wonder where that came from whether that was grandiosity or whether that was insecurity I don't know I don't know oh that's fascinating I mean yeah the grandiosity and insecurity are pieces to that but then the other thing that really kind of just clicked for me there is mentioning that you've had that paranoia even since a child and one of the other things that's curious about you is that you have a curiosity towards destructiveness, even at your own expense. You almost want to experience it. You want to know what it's like. You sometimes lean into that in some of the other things we've talked about. And it's interesting how that's almost an inverse to the paranoia. Paranoia is you are afraid of it happening, of when it's going to occur, when it's going to happen to you. And then in some of the ways that you've manifested now or that we've talked about or I've seen out of you, you lean into it. You want the things that used to be paranoia, paranoias now they're desirous. You want to feel mm. the destructiveness of, of it. You want to manifest it, feel it, embrace it. And that is a way of still being deeply emotionally invested in the same objects of that paranoia. But in this way, you're rendering it real. And so instead of being fearing, you are embracing, even if still to your own detriment. But especially with that backstory, you, you know, you're giving a bit more of a richer picture of where that comes from and what role it really plays for you. I think, well, anyways, that's uh, that's a conjecture. That's one of those intuition hits that I need to sit and reflect about. But yeah, that is fascinating. I think that rings true for sure, because yeah, I remember being a really kind of paranoid child and then eventually or at some point I sort of dropped that and decided to do risky stuff instead and to kind of lean into it and to decide that I was going to be in control of the bad things that were inevitably going to happen to me. And yeah, then I got a lot less paranoid. So mm -hmm. I think that was kind of papering over some of that, feeling unsafe, feeling fearful with like, I'm just going to now be the destructive one instead. So for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Because I mean, the other thing that you really demonstrate there is that the things that you're the most emotionally invested in 
or where your emotions are the most activated and triggered, you have to decide upon a solution of how you're going to deal with those things. One of the solutions can be paranoia or obsessive compulsiveness of constantly worrying about it happening or how to avoid it or anxious disorder. But then some of the other solutions can be like kind of a more malignant or sadistic and masochistic end of APD, ASPD, NPD, BPD, where you really long for the chaos and the destruction. And even though like those two different poles are still the same way of saying like, there are these things in the world that are deeply emotionally significant to me. And I assume it's going to happen. It has happened. I'm worried about it happening. I'm anxious about it happening. And I have to choose a stance that incorporates that thing into my world. And so in this case, you're manifesting it. You are it. You're, you know, you're not afraid of the boogeyman under the bed. You know, you invite him into your bed. It's, it's just that kind of a easy conversion. And yeah, I, I have to think about it more to say more sensible things. But yeah, I'm really glad that just came out. No, that was sensible. I no. agree. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you going to lead us next? Oh, okay. Now I'm going to go on to the thing that I wanted to talk about a bit less because it involves owning up to or destructiveness a bit more. So yeah, I was going to talk a bit about more intentionally hurting people. So being sadistic. Because mm. um, yeah, before I've just let myself off the hook a bit and been like, oh, it was just, I was just um, triggered and I couldn't help myself. Yeah, I've probably done quite a few sadistic things for no reason. Well, there was probably a reason, but <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because you say no reason and that no reason is from a certain frame of reference or a certain context. And the frame of reference would be a healthy, ordered, functional person's perspective on society. But I mean, if you did it for sadistic intent or for pleasure or out of paranoia, again, you could be presumptive hostility and manifesting things that you're afraid of happening to you. There are, there's almost certainly a reason. There are almost certainly reasons, but maybe just not any that are easily interpretable from a more regular person or quote unquote normal person's point of view. And that, that doesn't mean no reason. You're just saying a reason not as easily accessible to certain other people. Yeah, I guess I meant by no reason. I meant like no one has been aggressive towards me. Right. I've just gone and usually said something just pretty outrageous to anyone, <laughs> <laughs> anyone who's around. And I've just like done it for one-upmanship, done it for, I don't know, because I'm in like a high-stress situation and I just need to get out some aggression towards anyone, anywhere. And there's sometimes there's a bit of like a gleeful element of just find, just thinking it would be a funny thing to do. Yeah. Which is probably not how people imagine sadism to go, but sometimes, yeah, I think it's quite childish. I think we've talked about this before as well, about it being looking very dark on the outside, but feeling quite gleeful and... Yeah, like a five-year-old who's got one over on someone and finds it kind of hilarious. So, yeah, there's that. There's that. Yeah, there are a couple images coming to mind for me of shows or a manga that I've read of things that are seemingly childish and playful on the outside, but then gruesome and bitter and destructive in reality or, you know, in the show that is happening. And so I guess one that I'll say, because I remember it more clearly, I was just describing it to my partner. 
actually, I think earlier today. And I mentioned to you, Berserk. So I've read part of the manga, haven't finished it, and it's pretty common. But I, this doesn't spoil much because most of y'all are never going to get here. But there's this one part where he's in this seemingly pristine, beautiful place. And there are all these nymphs flying around or fairy-like creatures or something. And they're all playful and fun and childlike and whimsical. And they're showing them all this magic and stuff. Now, this is a very gritty, depressing thing, as, you know, some of them can be. And so at one point, these kids are going to play. They're going to have a mock battle, like a fake pretend war with each other. Kind of like, you know, playing swords and sticks like regular kids do. And But they actually start going at it. And they start, like, killing one another, these little fairy sprite things. And when they kill each other, they actually take their real form, which is that they're abducted children from nearby villages who have been lured by this malevolent creature's song. And so you see the child gleeful whim or desire of just like swinging and fighting one another and exercising. But then the reality of it is being these children's bodies who are engaging in this thing that has brutal consequences that they themselves maybe aren't entirely aware of it being ensorcelled by this very literal alternate reality. And so I think that that is not in any way too greatly disanalogous for what it's like for people who uh, can be disordered and be sadistic or malignant. And I mean, maybe not even an alternate reality. It can be just this activation, again, of those childlike impulses that we all have towards destruction in some ways. And in this case, it's kind of overemphasized or overblown. And so you interact with the world around you by destroying things or doing things at others' expense. And it doesn't seem like horror to you. It doesn't seem, you don't see the consequences in terms of the long-term ramifications or the heartbreak you cause other people or their own inner environment of what you do. Again, it's childlike. You see your perspective and you see yourself interacting with things and causing things to happen and you are enjoying it, having fun, playful. And that may be very perverse to a lot of people because, you know, we want to say, no, you're an adult. You chose to do this. You know it's wrong and you knew it would lead to this outcome. Ah, that is. If If people could think like that, they would not have done the action. Like that is not the inner environment that they're bringing towards these things that they, they're doing. They have something going on inside that makes them compelled or want or enjoy doing the thing. And that's why they do it. So it is on the job of other people to actually deploy their empathy to imagine somebody's inner environment that is structured so radically different from their own, which is something that I think normal people can be very bad at and which is why you have them trying to participate in things with like true crime documentaries or all these other ways of trying to express that violence but again at that remove but their fixation with it is just in trying to understand it or incorporate it is not getting to the ground level floor of how simply these things can arise and there are very few people i think have a kind of grown-up aware of their sadism and malignance and kind of doing clear-eyed calculations and deciding morally this is justified or something like that. I think that childlike glee or neurosis or compulsions are a lot closer and a lot more frequent. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot. Cut that bit out where I was like choking. (laughs) Not being choked. Not being choked, yeah. No. Things I'd rather you be choking on. Anyways, yes. Yes, back to normal thinking. (laughs) Yeah, I know part of me wonders whether 
normal people are to some extent sadistic, but they just they just can't acknowledge it because kind of small elements are a bit just like everywhere. People laugh at someone falling over or <laughs> people are willing to ignore a lot of the violence and suffering in the world. And it's kind right. of like, where do you draw the line between what normal kind of people are doing and someone who actually has like a sadism problem? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, people don't like to talk about it either for understandable reasons. But I do sort of wonder how much of this is in regular people as well. Regular people, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> in normies. Or, um, yeah, that sounds a lot better when you put it that way. But yeah, I mean, something that you said there, which I was also just thinking is that I think that sadism, when it is functionally applied, is appropriate. And I think that everybody should have some touch of sadism because aggressiveness is a part of our species for survival and to mm. affect our needs when we're threatened. Sadism is a way of enjoying aggressiveness and if you have to be aggressive, the most functional way to do it effectively is to enjoy the action of it. So you can mm. see that sadism in certain circumstances can serve a very legitimate and crucial purpose. And the problem, I suppose, then, of when you have a sadism problem is when that becomes like your primary affect and you can't do anything mm -hmm. else other than it or you can't see when it's inappropriate or it precludes yeah. your ability to do things like connect so i mean that to me would be the one of the ways to be able to delineate but also like you were saying about normal people not seeing it so i've just given a kind of sketch of how i see sadism and aggressiveness is again not bad not good it just is there's a reason and a purpose and a time and a place. But if you talk with it, most people and you say, what do you think of sadism? They're immediately gonna say it's bad. It's wrong, it's immoral. And that is just curious from my perspective. But if you decide to label it as such, then obviously everybody's gonna try and deny that they are such. They're gonna say that this has nothing to do with, you know, I don't have a sadistic bone in my body. Like I'm a regular healthy person, we don't do that. And so, again, you have some of that delusionality that purportedly disordered people have of disowning or being out of touch with their own emotions and their own inner workings. If what I'm suggesting is correct, that we all have sadistic urges for perfectly sensible and legitimate purposes. And yeah, this is a bit of the delusionality or myth of the normal that people can get caught up in. And if you become severely emotionally invested in what people sell you like that, you can actually end up profoundly emotionally unhealthy and sick. This is where you can get people really getting neurotic and obsessive about the things they do wrong. And if it means that they're sadistic or quote unquote, bad person, and it can quite literally be detrimental to some people's functioning and well-being for something that you could simply say is normal is completely fine. This is my expression of something that everybody does. It is an active harm to sell people on a higher standard than is reasonably achievable. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, here's God, here's Jesus, and you're measuring up to them as opposed to say, you who does, you're an animal, animals are aggressive at times, and that's perfectly fine. Oh, wow, there's so much there. First of all, you've been going to like the wrong kind of parties if you have people denying that they're sadists. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. You know, we, we can talk about the kinks at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah. 
That is a lot. That is a lot to think about. I think I might have to come back to thinking about some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't mean to overawe you at your own fucking debut. So let's uh, keep on rolling and let you drive this crazy train. But yeah, I was going to say that, again, it's like I think of finding outlets for it is good. Knowing when kind of some inappropriate urges might come out, that kind of thing. And yeah, I don't think it's going to change about me. I don't necessarily want it to because for various reasons, people can find aggression like a a useful thing. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, and a healthy thing and a kind of comforting thing as well, I guess, the fact that they can be aggressive. So it's not something I want to get rid of. It's something I want to channel and channel away from some of the outlets that I've used it for before. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's also just, are you within, say, an acceptable divergence of people? Like people fall within a continuum of their actions and affects and behaviors. And so you fall somewhere on this scale that is perhaps more aggressive than normal or somebody who has less aggressive impulses. But I mean, you need people of a wide range of abilities and talents in a society or a community to affect all the roles that are needed. And I'm sure that there is a way to integrate or incorporate you into the human experience or body politic in a way that is useful and mutually beneficial. I mean, you can almost see trying to integrate you into a larger group of people in a meaningful way as just an individual person trying to integrate a more difficult or complicated or unpleasant experience into their own in terms of, well, how do I turn this around? How do I learn something from it? How do I process this differently? I mean, the same thing that you do on that individual level is the same thing that we have to think about doing for people at this larger, broader level. I Mm. think or believe this is my hobby horse and pipe dream of where this is all leading. (laughs) You see, like, this is where you need someone to become president kiss a load of babies and (laughs) right and then i can do my theorizing and practice my ideas on the populace by being a shadowy advisor sitting behind the presidency so we've uh, got a game plan here perfect nice 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 (laughs) right i need to have a drink so i'm gonna go and get some coke not not coke coke (laughs) 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 um We don't have to like run ourselves ragged doing this. Like this is a labor of love. We should enjoy what we're doing. I mean, I think that's the way to do things the best is to enjoy it. So, you know, how are you feeling right now? Let's touch in with your body and yourself. I I recognize an overtired child when I see one. So yeah, let's, uh, (laughs) oh God. All right. So what, what was the last thing you were saying? You know, we'll let you finish your thought and then, uh, then we'll cut it, bag it and tag it. So to everybody who's been following along with us and been enjoying the journey, as you may have noticed with the dipping of Lila's voice and kind of getting lower and lower as we've been going along here, we are kind of running out of steam at the moment. And so we're going to call the episode here, but just in case y'all are thinking that we're missing quite a number of things and there's still more to go, that intuition is entirely correct. And next time we're going to go into Lila's childhood, which if you'll notice, is closer to the end for a reason. And yeah, what do you think about that, Lila? I cannot wait to talk about being a child. It was fucking great. 
yeah, you know, that alternate reality and rewriting of the narrative in history that disordered people never do. Yeah, great. I'm glad to hear the reality of that for you. So thanks for showing up. Hopefully we can get you back on again that the experience wasn't too grueling or onerous or demanding. Uh, if it was, you know, I just got to find a way to up that incentive structure, which, you know, I'm sure we can figure out ways. This is where you say something instead of nodding. <laughs> I was very distracted and I was trying to not say any inappropriate thing. <laughs> <laughs> what even do you answer that with? <laughs> well, preferably words. <laughs> you just got some words, so be grateful. That's what I say. All right. So we're going to leave that in the pod and, uh, you know, the viewers can fill out Lila's imagination to their heart's content. And uh, we'll see y'all next time. And thanks for spending the time with us. <laughs> Don't even say bye. Just, just fucking leave. <laughs> so just to let the audience know that Burning Lila did indeed wave goodbye, but they ran out of sweet and pleasant lies to play along with the narrative but she will indeed miss you all too. Thanks for showing up, folks. See you next time.